0: Good morning, it is a blessing to be able to be here together, and I don't know if you've ever been to a place that, uh, just to kind of camp on what's already been said a few times, but if you've ever been to a place that isn't committed to the Scriptures and isn't committed to teaching the Scriptures and encouraging all of us to be in the Scriptures, it is a depressing environment. Um, I remember years ago when I was, um, I had responsibilities every week at a church as a vocation. And I had a couple of weeks off, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to go visit a couple of cults. (laughs) Just to see, I mean, what it's like. You hear about stuff, and you think, you know what, I'm just going to go see what it's like. So I did. I went to the Mormon church for a service, walked in. And I was amazed at how much it looks like our regular old churches. I mean, really. Walked in, and was like, I want to double check on the little handout they gave me that this was indeed the Mormon church, and it was. I mean, it looked like the Baptist church I grew up in, is what it looked like, just as far as the, the externals. And then the guys started teaching, or preaching would be better. Uh, talking might be a better verb. Uh, we were told that if uh, we didn't give or we didn't tithe, we would go to hell, and uh, we got that from Malachi. So it was it was very interesting. Uh, now we know why the Mormon Church has got such beautiful churches everywhere. And uh, anyway, it was a long Sunday morning. So after that, I actually went to a very liberal. Uh, it was more of a ecu- ecumenical sort of geo feel, you know, Kumbaya-type place that was, uh, they didn't even open the Bible. I went in there, and uh, the, the person up front just started reading poetry. Poetry. And about halfway through, this sounds really pious, but it was just reality. I got sick to my stomach and had to leave. So when we come to church and, uh, oh, ho-hum, you know, Chuck's preaching from the Bible again, I mean, this doesn't happen everywhere, and it doesn't happen to the, to the level that it happens here everywhere. So anyway, if you ever get a chance, go to a cult <laughs> and see what a blessing we have here in our context each Sunday. Back when I was in college, I drove a black Firebird. This was my car. It was kind of a midlife crisis in my 20s. Decided that I wanted a black Firebird, so I got a black Firebird. It was really nice. I mean, it looked like, I remember the movie uh, or the, the television series uh, Night Rider? That was my car without the little red light going back and forth. That was it, black Firebird. And I mean, V8, that thing could go from zero to way too fast in a very fast time. So anyway, I was uh, driving back from Dallas to Denton. I was going to the university in Denton at the time, and it was a really rainy day. And I don't know if you're familiar with Interstate 35 as it gets up there to UNT, what used to be North Texas State University. But there was an exit for uh, Avenue C is what it used to be called. Now it's like North Texas Avenue or something like that. But I took the cruise control off my car in order to exit. As soon as I took the cruise control off the car, it accelerated like I had floored it. And it, of course it scared me because this is not what happens when you take the cruise control off. You're supposed to start you know, gently slowing down. It will accelerated. So I hit the brakes thinking I'm going to knock some sense into it and it begins to slow down and I take my foot off the brake again. Somehow the, the idle or whatever it is, I'm not going to start naming car parts again because I may get in trouble. And thank you for all the engineers that emailed me what a manifold is after last week. I still don't know what it is. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, I was in my Black Firebird, and this thing was revved to the max. It was scary. I mean, it sounds fun, funny now, but if you're in it, and here comes the exit, by the way. So I exit going, you know, with the, with the engine all out high. And I immediately had a turn, and it's raining, so I'm two-wheeling it, going around the University of North Texas, and my dorm is right there by the exit. And the parking lot of the dorm was a dirt lot. And it was raining. And I was going full speed in a black Firebird with a V8 engine. I I look, going through that parking lot, with mud spinning everywhere, trying to find a place to park and trying to figure out how I'm going to park. I mean, I was, it, it was sort of a combination of, you know, Dukes of Hazard, Starsky and Hutch, and the Keystone Cops all mixed together. Finally, I saw a parking place headed toward it and I slammed on the brakes. My wheel stopped and I put the car in park and slid right into a parking place. And, of course, the engine's still at full, full froth. And I turned the car off, and I was just sitting there breathing. I told this later to a friend, and he goes, You idiot, why didn't you just turn the car off to begin with? <laughs> 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 Lanage Lan- Lan immediately says, Yeah. Well... I was too busy to think about the obvious. Honestly, it was terrifying. So this is just what happened. But uh, also, if I had just turned it off, I wouldn't have the great illustration that I'm about to share. (laughs) I find that the struggles in our lives are a lot like this experience. And if you'll pardon the pun, we have driven personalities. We have passions, uh, which is sort of a nice way sometimes to talk about the fact that we have selfish desires. For some, it's pleasure, for some, it's material things, for some, it's more noble things, like family or even ministry, but idols still the same. People that are desperately searching for significance in things that this world offers or in our even in our Christian culture offers. People who have pursued their drives with no breaks, running over others in order to accomplish what they want done. You've probably experienced this in your family, in your friends, in your vocation. I have experienced this in my family, and my friends, and in my vocation. And ministry can be the worst because we often use the Lord's work as justification for running over other people who just aren't as committed as we are. Because, of course, we're the standard. (laughs) Left to ourselves, we will pursue ourselves until we destroy ourselves. Unless... God taps the brakes unless God gives something in our lives that allows us to slow down and to keep things as they should be before it's too late. Well, we're going to look at a case in Leviticus chapter 10, Leviticus chapter 10, where it was too late. It was too late. And lessons we can learn from what happened kind of a cautionary tale of Nadab and Abihu. Uh, Leviticus 10, but if you don't mind backing up a couple of three verses into chapter 9, look at chapter 9, verse 22. Here's where we'll start. What we're going to see is not new. In fact, it's the very beginning of the Bible. In the Garden of Eden, we saw it in uh, Genesis 3 when, the, when Satan monkeyed up a system that God had set up, a perfect system, whereby God could have a relationship with Adam and Eve. God had given them a simple command. His word was very simple, eat anything you want except this tree. That's it. That's all the Bible they had. It was pretty easy. And somehow with that simple command, Satan still wiggled his way in and allowed them Tempted them to ignore God's word and to go with what they were thinking and feeling as opposed to what God said. We see the same thing here in Leviticus. Look at chapter 9, verse 22. Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them and stepped down after making the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. When they came out and blessed the people, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Then fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the portions of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. And the shout here is a shout for joy. That's what the Hebrew word means. Shout for joy. It's not a shout of fear. They saw the glory of the Lord and the glory of the Lord Fire came out from God's glory and consumed the altar and lit the altar for the first time, and this is we've I think we've actually looked at this passage before in the context of the uh, sacrifices. You remember when we were talking about how they set up throughout all the book of Exodus the tabernacle, got the tabernacle ready, and now Leviticus tells us what to do with the tabernacle. Starts off with the sacrifices. And we read here at the end of chapter 9 that God lit the first fire. God lit this fire. And so we're told that that the fire is to stay lit. Keep your place here in chapter 9, if you would, and flip back several chapters to chapter 6. Leviticus 6, verse 12. Leviticus 6.12 says, The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not go out, but the priest shall burn wood on it every morning, and he shall lay out the burnt offering on it, and offer up in smoke the fat portions of the peace offering on it. Fire shall be kept burning continually on the altar. It is not to go out. So, now back to chapter 9. So this fire that God lit, God's fire was to stay lit. They were not to let it go out. The priest's job was to continue to stoke that fire so that the flames that God initially lit would be the flames that took care of every single sacrifice. They would take coals from that altar. They would take it inside the holy place, and they'd burn incense in front of the Holy of Holies from coals taken from the fire that God lit. It was not to go out. So, this gives us a huge contrast now when we look at chapter 10. Verse 1 says, "Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective firepans and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it and offered strange fire before the Lord." which he had not commanded them strange fire the hebrew word here for strange basically means so foreign we see this uh, in proverbs the proverbs talks a lot about the foreign woman or the strange woman it's it's a woman in that context that didn't belong there the new international version if you have that it says unauthorized fire In other words, it wasn't the fire that God lit. They took fire that they weren't supposed to be taking into the holy place. And the implication is they hadn't been doing their job, they let the fire go out, and so they had to basically take strange fire into the presence of God. One of the couple of reasons that the fire was always to remain lit, God's fire, is because, first of all, God had done it, and second, it was to be lit burning 24-7 to show that people had access to God 24-7. That anybody at any time could bring a sacrifice into the presence of God and that there was, there was the ability for them to be made right with God. The fire should never go out. And it's a wonderful principle in our lives as well that God's fire never goes out, if you think of it that way. We always have constant access to God. It never goes out, thankfully. But Nadab and Abihu, these sons of Aaron, they had not been doing their job. I remember the old stalwart theologian, J. Dwight Pentecost. Back when I was in seminary, uh, Dr. Pentecost shared a story about when he was in seminary. So this is like, you know, back in the 1700s or whenever it was. It's just old time. The seminary is not that old, but anyway. So, Dr. Pentecost is a young student, and he talks. He told, told us all about a, an elderly couple that invited him to dinner, and they set before him this, uh, you know, this wonderful bread that was steaming and was delicious. And they said, before you eat the bread, we want you to we want you to know something that's special about the bread. The yeast that we made this bread from is yeast that we brought from the old country. We've kept it with us. It's been in our family literally for generations. Every time we make a bread, we save a little bit, and you know it just continues to go. And then they said something that was really amazing. They said, and the fire that cooked this bread, we brought over from the old country. They had brought on a boat over in some kind of uh, a metal fire pan that they had brought coals from fire that they've kept lit for generations, and they had continued to, to keep that fire going. And I don't know why that particular uh, family did that, but obviously that was their tradition. But Dr. Pentecost connected it with this in the sense that there, there is a, uh, a precedent among people and cultures that fires are never to go out. And God very specifically says that it was never to go out. So to eat bread like that, can you imagine that if they had told you that, you know, and you're about to sit down? By the way, this bread is not just ordinary bread. This isn't just something you pick up at Kroger. This is stuff we brought from the old country. You're you're literally tasting bread that's been cooked over the commitment of generations. It's far more significant than just uh, eating Mrs. Baird's. And that's the point. God said that the fire is to be used when incense was burned because that fire had been lit by God. That fire is what you used when you uh, offered your sacrifice by God. It is what he approved. It is all he approved, and nothing else was approved. Nadab and Abihu were coming into God's presence in a way that he had not authorized. They offered strange fire because they hadn't been doing their job. So look what happened. They lit the fire, and verse 2 tells us, And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Interesting connection. We read at the end of chapter 9, verse 24, Fire came out before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering. Here in chapter 2, just two verses later, we read fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them. Nadab and Abihu died by the same holy fire that God had lit the uh, the altar with just two verses earlier. Now, at first glance, honestly, seems kind of harsh. I mean, good grief, a hand slap, you know, maybe you go to bed without dinner, but for fire to come out and to burn you and kill you right there? What's the big deal? If Leviticus teaches us anything, it's that we can't just walk into God's presence willy nilly as we want. We've got to come as He prescribes. As long as we're sincere, God will accept us. That's kind of another way of saying, you know, my sin doesn't really matter to God. It does. God is holy. We can't just waltz into God's presence as we are and expect that He is going to accept us as we are. The good news is He has made provision for the fact that we can't do that and that He has provided, in the Old Testament, it was sacrifices for us. It's the final sacrifice. Jesus on the cross has provided a way that we can come into God's presence, but not as we are. We come into God's presence having trusted that Jesus Christ has removed our sin, and now we come into God's presence not with our sin, but with the righteousness of Christ. Of course God's going to accept us. He accepts Christ. Nadab and Abihu didn't have that commitment. They came into God's presence. Fire is fire. No, fire is not fire. Come into God's presence just any way we want. No, we can't do that. Only through Christ we come into the presence of God. It's kind of like Nadab and Abihu were driving a strange firebird. They they had no brakes. They had no guidance. They had no boundaries. You know, in a lot of ways, God gives us creative license as we're in ministry and as we live our lives. Sing a new song to the Lord. You know what that means? It means sing a new song to the Lord. There's nothing wrong with the old hymns. Nothing wrong at all. But you know what? At some point those old hymns were new songs. <laughs> we still got new songs. We sing them on Sundays. And sometimes it drives me nuts because I don't know them. But then when I get to know them, you know, now it's it's good. God likes the freshness of new things involved in ministry as well. But he also shows us in this incident that some things you don't change. You don't change the mean by which you come into God's presence. We can change the way we do ministry, but we don't change the fundamentals of our doctrine. Those are unchangeable. So there's a principle from the text, and here it is. There's only one way we can approach God. His way. There's only one way we can approach God, His way. Sincerity is not the basis of truth. You can be sincerely wrong. All throughout the Bible, we see there's only one way to God. Now, there's that, and that one way is by grace, through faith, in the object that God provides. Only one way, all throughout Scripture, by grace, through faith, and the object that God provides. That's the only way anybody ever comes into the presence of God. There's only one way. Now, the object of that faith has changed throughout the the years, the centuries, the dispensations, if you want to think of it that way. Um, In the Old Testament, it was the sacrifices. We believe that the sacrifices somehow, because God tells us, are going to atone for our sins. The New Testament tells us the reason that that happened is because all those sacrifices are a shadow of the final sacrifice, of the great light, you might say, that was cast from the cross that cast the shadow on all the Old Testament sacrifices that pointed to Jesus as the final sacrifice that paid for all the sins of the past, all the sins of the future were paid in Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus could say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by means of me. Say, well, that's kind of narrow. Yeah, it is. It's the way God provides. Nadab and Abihu would say amen to that. They realized you don't just willy-nilly come into the presence of God. You do it the way he says. And today he says you do it through Jesus Christ. I read about a uh, airport security screener up in Connecticut, you know, you know what an airport security screener is. It's those people that look at your luggage when you go through airport security. Well, this, they're supposed to be looking at the luggage. And this, this was the guy that was standing in front of the screen, you know, that actually looks at the luggage as it goes through. Have you ever tried to do that? Have you ever like looked over their shoulder and thought, you know, what are they looking at? And there've been a few times that I'd say, Hey, back up. What was that? I mean, they've got some pretty interesting looking, how they can look at that mess. It's like looking at an x-ray or something. But they, they can figure it out, and they just let stuff go through, and then sometimes they stop and they check it out. Well, it turns out this airport security screener up in Connecticut, his, his uh, co-workers looked over and saw he was asleep. <laughs> He's asleep, and things are just going by on the monitor. They didn't know how long he'd be asleep. He didn't know how long he'd been asleep. And so you know what they had to do? I kid you not. Everybody in the whole terminal, the whole terminal, had to exit and go back through security. What a fun day that was <laughs> up in Connecticut. Well, of course, this guy lost his job. And a spokesman for the, tra- the TSA, Transportation Security Administration, said this, quote, If even one bag had gone through the sterile area into the concourse, that's going to require this kind of action. He says the the employee was suspended for, quote, failing to maintain his post. (laughs) He was asleep. Failing to maintain his post. And I like the way they, they refer to the concourse as sterile. Interesting word, isn't it? I mean, think about it. Let's get, let's, have a little fun with this for a minute. What's the big deal? I mean, all right, so a bag gets through the no one scene. Who cares? One bag? No big deal. All it takes is one bag, isn't it? I read uh, in the news recently at DFW how many handguns they people accidentally, you know, take and they say, "Oh, I didn't realize I had a loaded handgun in my carry-on bag." Sorry. I mean, it's, it's a crazy amount, and they catch them. They catch them. And, oh, you would know, Anne. Interesting. So we've got a personal testimony here. They weren't loaded. Well, that's good. But you know what? That's not legalism. We want the TSA to be legalists. We expect the TSA to be legalists. Would you want a surgeon to operate on you who hadn't washed his hands? Yeah, what's the big deal? I mean, you know, shoot. Don't be a legalist. No. Go wash your hands. Absolutely. Would you want to eat a hamburger that the restaurant had dropped on the bathroom floor 10 minutes earlier? <laughs> no. We require absolute purity in these things in our lives every day, don't we? The five-second rule only works for toddler food. It doesn't work for the holiness of God. Just ask Nadab and Abihu. So why do we not so why do we criticize God for doing this? The, the, the surprising thing is that he doesn't do this all the time. That in his grace, he doesn't send fire out. There wouldn't be one of us still standing there's only one way we can approach god and that is his way his way Uh, keep your finger here in leviticus if you would and turn to proverbs chapter three proverbs chapter three my aunt uh told me a great story about a time that she and my uncle went to a restaurant with a bunch of friends this is so good. They, they were a crowded restaurant. It was a small restaurant. There was, I don't remember, she said there were like six or eight of them. And it's hard to seat, you know, six or eight people just in the spur of the moment. So they said, well, we've got a table, but it's not very big. So they all crammed in. I mean, it's just like elbow to elbow. And they're around this table. And they're talking and they're having fun. And my aunt decides that she wants to flirt a little bit with my uncle. So, my aunt slips off her sandal and takes her bare foot and runs over, you know, kind of leans over and and uh, to my uncle's leg and pulls down his sock with her toe <laughs> and begins, you know, stroking his hairy leg with her with her foot. And then my uncle gets up and goes to the bathroom and the hairy leg is still there. (laughs) She'd been rubbing some other guy's leg and he didn't even say anything. (laughs) What Satan did in the Garden of Eden... Adam and Eve did, with Adam and Eve, he did it with Nadab. Do I need to give you a little more time to get over that story? <laughs> it's it funny, but at the time, of course, it was complete horror to my aunt. My uncle thought it was hilarious when he heard about it. <laughs> so what Satan did in the Garden of Eden with, when, with Adam and Eve he also did with Nadab and Abihu, and he also does to us. The adversary, the devil, tries to tempt us to doubt several things. The truth of God's word, the goodness of God's intentions. This is what God did with Adam and Eve. And to question the goodness of God, to where we're left with nothing but common sense to make our choices. We weren't Created by God to just use common sense. We were created by God to need his word. As Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In a context, by the way, that he's talking to Satan. We can't live our lives based on common sense. We need the scriptures. We need the word of God. Because otherwise, what's going to seem perfectly logical, you're going to find out that you've been rubbing the wrong hairy leg for a long time. (laughs) Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1. Look at these wonderful verses. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life, And peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. You know, these aren't just words that we frame and hang in our homes. These are not decoration. These words are, to quote them, are to be bound around our neck. They're to be written on the tablet of our heart. Not inscribed on our walls. It's fine to have it on your walls. I've got Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 on my wall at home. But it's there to remind me that it needs to be in my heart. God's Word is what we need in our lives. And here's the second principle. There's only one way we can know God's will. His Word. There's only one way we can know God's will. That's His Word. God's will is in His Word. The Reformers used to have a phrase, or had a phrase, we still say, called sola scriptura, sola scriptura, scripture alone. And this is often misunderstood by many in our camp as meaning that the only source of truth we have in life is the Bible. That's not what it means. Sola Scripture, it doesn't mean that the only source of truth is the Bible. In fact, the Bible doesn't tell us that. The Bible tells us that the natural creation also declares the glory of God. We can see God's glory in, in the beautiful sunsets and the creation that he has made, and all of that gives us so much conviction that there is a God that it condemns us, Romans 1 tells us. Sola Scripture isn't saying that it is our only source, but that it is our ultimate source. That, that if anything else contradicts what the Bible says, then we go with the Bible, that Scripture is our ultimate source. So whether it's the Garden of Eden or whether it's the wilderness of Sinai here with Nadab and Abihu or whether it's our lives here and now, that Satan is always going to give us alternatives to truth and uh, couch it in the wonderful beautiful, flowery words of common sense. People are really prone to feel God's ancient rules need renovation. And then they wonder why they find themselves in a runaway firebird in life. Well, back in Leviticus chapter 10, look at the next verse. Leviticus 10 verse 3. Then Moses said to Aaron, It is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I will be treated as holy, and before all the people I will be honored. So Aaron, therefore, kept silent. Moses also called to Mishael and Elzaphan, the son of Aaron's uncle Uzziel. "...and said to them, Come forward, carry your relatives away from the front of the sanctuary to the outside of the camp." So they came forward, and carried them still in their tunics to the outside of the camp, as Moses had said. Then Moses said to Aaron and to his sons Eliezer and Ithamar, Do not uncover your heads, nor tear your clothes, so that you may not die, and that he may not become wrathful against all the congregation. But your kinsmen, the whole house of Israel, shall bewail the burning." which the Lord has brought about. You shall not even go out from the doorway of the tent of meeting, lest you die. For the Lord's anointing oil is upon you. So they did according to the word of Moses. What's going on here? Well, this is what you call a teachable moment. Aaron's two sons just died. Aaron says, now, bring your other sons over here and let's, let me tell you something. Don't publicly mourn the death of Nadab and Abihu. Why not? Why not? Because God didn't want them, they they need to present, in other words, a united front to the people. Tragedy gets our attention and melts the wax in our ears, you might say, that keeps us from hearing from God. When tragedy strikes, it is a wonderful opportunity to learn. So let's lift this, if you would, just from the the Scripture and put it in our own lives. If you've had tragedy or if you are going through something right now that is tough, this is a wonderful opportunity for you to learn what God would have you learn in no other situation because you sure don't want to have to go through it again to learn. Listen intently. Be in the Bible intently, continually, I think it's such a shame that so many people go through a lifetime of struggle without ever learning, but rather shaking their fist at God rather than humbly bowing and saying, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? You know, and it was probably hard for Aaron not to publicly mourn his son's deaths, But if you think about it, if the the priests had publicly mourned Nadab and Abihu's death, then the people might sympathize with them and think, yeah, yeah, God's too hard on this. But instead, they they presented the united front. And the instruction in the teachable moment, we read it, but I'll read it again, verse 3, that they needed to learn was, by those who come near me, I will be treated as holy. You don't just come willy-nilly into the presence of God. You know, when we come into the presence of God and we pray, we pray in Jesus' name. That's not just a flowery way to end a prayer. That's not just a signal that we're about to all open our eyes. But to pray in Jesus' name means we are praying under the authority of Christ. We are praying through him. He is our priest. We are praying because... in and it would be, in the will of Christ. So to pray in Jesus' name means we, we come to God through Jesus and through Jesus alone. The teachable moment here was that they should be treated as holy and also that before the people, God would be honored. This was the emphasis. Nadab and Abihu didn't do that. And so he says, he says to Aaron, don't publicly mourn privately mourn, and get the message. Don't go willy-nilly doing your job. Treat me as holy. Look at verse 8. There's more to it. The Lord then spoke to Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine or strong drink, neither you nor your sons with you when you come into the tent of meeting, so that you may not die. It is a perpetual statute throughout your generations, and so as to make a distinction between the holy and the profane, and between the unclean and the clean, and so as to teach the sons of Israel that all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them through Moses. Again, it seems a little weird, a little out of place, but the, because it's in this context, we get the implication that Nadab and Abihu had been drinking, and so they, they weren't able to make the distinction that they should have been making. Verse 10 says that the purpose of this prohibition is so that they are able to make a distinction between what is right and wrong. Just listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote. He said a similar thing. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul writes, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father. Paul's saying a similar thing here, that rather than be controlled by wine or, in principle, by anything, other than being controlled by the Holy Spirit or by the Lord, we should obey God's word. I emailed my uncle, this is the same hairy-legged uncle that I mentioned earlier, a few years back, just asked him how he was doing. He had gone through a very rough season in his life. I won't give you the details of it, but it was very rough. And I asked him how he was doing, and he says he's actually doing really great, and I want to read a portion of his email to you. He says this, I'm doing great. I learned some hard lessons in the 1990s, when i was so sure of myself my parents tried to teach me but i wouldn't learn now i tell my wife it could never happen but it it could never happen but if someone were to tell me i could go back and have all the millions and millions of dollars i had but to go back to that lifestyle of being a jerk and without christ i wouldn't do it because all i would be is a rich old man and a jerk Now, I'm a poor old man, but I have peace and true joy in my life. Usually when I give this testimony, people congratulate me, but I say I could easily go back. Isn't that a great bit of honesty? I could easily go back. Just because I learned all the lessons doesn't mean I don't have to daily, daily choose to keep Christ first in my life. The devil is constantly tempting me to go back to being who I was. It takes time on my knees every morning and in the word of God before I go out into the world to get my compass set. You see, God's word gives us what my uncle was talking about here in this paragraph. The reason that we're in the Bible is not because, you know, we're supposed to be. Not just because we're supposed to be. It's not to check a box on our reading program. It's not to give us bragging rights, and it's definitely not just to give us content to talk about on Sunday mornings. It's like food. It is nourishment to our hearts. It is the necessary filter that all of our motives and life and feelings and everything has to go through. And out the other side comes a mind, to, you, to quote Paul, that is renewed. We have to renew our mind. Renewing of the mind is not a one-and-done deal. It is an everyday thing. It's exactly like my uncle said. And, I mean, all his words do is sort of amen what you're feeling in your heart. Because it's true of you. And it's true of me. When we repent of a sin, it's great because we have changed our mind to go in a different direction. But that is a decision we have to make every single day. None of us is set. None of us have arrived. We're all still in process, and believe me, we can all still slide. We can all still drive the Firebird at full speed. We can all still stroke the wrong hairy leg. (laughs) I'm gonna get all I can out of that story. We can, unless we are in the word of God on a daily basis. So the two principles that we've talked about are principles that are not just, again, one and done. They are daily. First of all, there's only one way we can approach God his way, his way. And second, there's only one way we can know God's will, his word, only one way. Like my strange firebird, or like Nadab and Abihu's strange fire, or like the strange selfish ambition that we all struggle with in our life, we need the daily input of the Word of God. You probably note that I talk about this a lot. In fact, some of you have even said, You know, Wayne, you talk about that a lot. Good. I'm glad that you're hearing that. I'm telling you what I need to hear, and hopefully you also need to hear it, the continual reminder. Read the Bible. Read the Word of God on a regular basis and allow it to do its work in your heart. Let's pray. Our Father, we are definitely descendants of Adam and Eve, not just physically, but spiritually. We fall for the same lie from the tempter. How often we struggle against the same things they did as we listen to the lies of Satan that causes us to want to doubt God's word and to doubt God's character, that his intentions are best for us this method still works, and we still struggle against it. Nadab and, and Abihu struggled against it, somehow thinking that you really didn't mean what you said, that they could come into your presence just with any willy-nilly old strange fire. The tragedy in their family gives us an eye-opening truth in our lives. Not that we need to walk in terrible fear of you, But we need to be sobered up to the realization that your word is the means by which we live each day and not our common sense, not our wits and wisdom and wealth, but your word, the scriptures. So, Father, we just each make that commitment to you first that we have come to you in the way that you've provided, you alone, and that is through your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for us the living word. And we also come to you on a daily basis through the written word, not to check a box, but to have our minds renewed because your will is in your word and we want to spend time in the scriptures in order that the scriptures may spend their time in us. So Lord, thanks for the reminders and as we go forth today from our class and have another week, with you. I just ask that the scriptures would be a great source of encouragement and refreshment and renewal as we walk with you each day. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Wayne. Nice job as usual. Just a quick reminder, Suzanne will be over here taking money for February eleventh, lunch and movie. So see her, even if you don't have cash, see her and let her know you. Give her your name that you plan to attend and with that may the Lord bless you and keep you may the Lord shine upon you and Give be gracious to you may the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace